0: This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. You're dismissed. In the words of Stephen Dauphin, breaking news. Pastor Grant is not preaching today. I would say, and all the people said, but you would say, yikes. Not a good start. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. (laughs) Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that we are able to worship you. Father, I pray because of your word uh, that you would uh, convict our hearts. Father, that you would change our lives and that all in that, that you're honored. And we would ask that favor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to give you a couple of visuals here, hopefully. There we go. Uh, And I'm going to let you guess what this sermon is about. This guy right here. Trust me, if I had gotten out of the house... Like this, there would have been bodily harm done to me. It's a, called a crime. It starts with an M and ends. It rhymes with erder. Uh, this is social distancing, OK, in case you're wondering. I don't know what this is. It's like, where do you get those shoes? It's, I don't know. My wife would have never let me out. Uh, this guy. Hi, murka, You know, Murka, I appreciate the patriotic outfit, but a onesie? Really? And this is why you have children, okay? So they can get you into the Walmart, okay? Junior, can you push this in? I Have you have you got the sermon yet? Okay. This guy, okay, at first glance. Yeah, is that Rob Kennedy? I had to look for a while, and if I finally decided, no, 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 that's not Rob, because Haley would have never let him out with his yellow shorts on. He would have had red to match the outfit, so it's not Rob, but doggone that's close, isn't it? Yeah, just say yes, okay, you can beat me up in the parking lot in a minute, okay, all right, okay. Well, if you haven't figured out what the title of the sermon is yet, you, this is the reason that you never ask uh, Rob Edelman to help you out, okay. Uh, Nice ham, you got there. be a shame if someone put an S and an E behind it. Are you the only one that gets that? <laughs> ham, you put an S and oh, Thank you. Man, I, It's got to be the rain. Okay, what we're talking about is shame today. The problem with the word is that it doesn't have the same thunder that it used to. When my mom said to me, shame on you, I felt that. The problem today is, in our culture, it seems to have lost its meaning. All you have to do is turn on the television and look at shows like The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. Or maybe go to the movies, and you see that there is no shame anymore. At least that's the way it seems to me. But Paul Hardy used to say, it's not one world. And in the Middle East, it's taken very differently. In fact, they use the antonym or the opposite word to justify killings. They're called honor killings. Have you ever heard of that? And the reason that they have these honor killings, if you will, is because somehow or another in the patriarchal society, the men ruling that the women have brought shame to the name of their family. They do it by some element of what they judge, what the men judge, as some sort of sexual misconduct or impurity, immorality. Goes all the way down to conversing with men in public or not, uh, w- or wanting to get out of a marriage, a divorce, uh, wanting to uh, leave an abusive husband, they can honor kill that woman. They do it differently. According to the Human Rights Commission of Pakistan, over 470 cases of honor killings were reported. This is what was reported in Pakistan last year. This was from 2022. But human rights defenders estimate that around 1,000 women are killed in the name of honor every year. You see, shame around the world is handled quite differently than in America. I want you to understand that shame still exists. Because mostly when we do something off-color, and then we get caught, and then we get exposed, then we seem to understand the word. In reality, it's not that we don't feel it. It's not that we don't get exposed. It's just that we don't want to admit it. We can relate to shame. We just don't want to. So in order to cover it up, we try to normalize it. Is that fair? Turn to Isaiah, if you would, chapter 44. Isaiah chapter 44, and we're going to start in verse 9. Isaiah is writing to a captive nation. Judah is in Babylon. And he wants them to see, he wants them to feel, he wants them uh, to turn from one thing in particular. And his point that he keeps hammering home is that your idols put you to shame. Your idols put you to shame. Starting in verse 9, let's look and see how he presents it. All who fashion idols are nothing. And the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame. And the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. Do you see it? Three different times. Verse 9, they shall be put to shame. Verse 11, the first part, behold, all his companions shall be put to shame. The last part, verse 11, they shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. Shame, shame. Shame. Three times Isaiah pounds the point home with mere repetition. And he specifically connects their shame with their idols and he's calling them out. Shame on you. Shame to you for what you've done. Shame and idols are put together. As one famous pastor said, it wasn't Just bad, it was way worse than what they thought. So how does he connect it? He gives you two really good reasons. So let's look at it. The first thing that Isaiah wants you to see is that your idols will always put you to shame because they cannot deliver you. Look in verse 12. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks the water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak tree and lets uh, it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar, and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half, he eats meat, he roasts it, and is satisfied, he warms himself and says, Aha! I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it, he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. Your idols will always put you to shame because they cannot deliver you. Did you see the process that Isaiah used? He literally walked them through the process of making an idol. Well, I don't think it was any big secret of how idols were made. I think they had skilled craftsmen that they knew that this guy was a great wood carver. I don't think that they, for a minute, thought that idols just appeared. They were manufactured. And Isaiah keenly walks them through it. He forces them to see how it's done, to watch it in their mind. You see, this is him doing an affect to get an effect. Do you know the difference? An affect is a verb, okay? He's walking them through the process. That's the affect of what he wrote. The effect that he was looking for was shame. He literally walked them through the process. Very quickly, the ironsmith makes a cutting tool. The carpenter gets the cutting tool. Carpenter goes into the woods, cuts down a tree, What does he do with the tree? Well, half of it he warms himself with. I love that. Aha, I'm warm. That was the only aha moment that person had. He warms himself with it. He cooks his food with it. And for whatever reason, he decided this chunk of wood is going to heat me and my food. And this chunk of wood is going to be a god. Isaiah just laid it out in front of them. What made it worse in this real-time sequencing that he did to strip the value of it? You realize that's what he was doing, right? Isaiah was stripping the value away from this piece of wood for them. The worst part was that they were asking this block of wood to deliver them. Look at 17b again. He says... You've, you've carved it, okay? You've worshipped it, and now you're making a, de- a demand of it, deliver me. And can't you just see Isaiah sitting back and saying, because it just echoes through the verse, how's that working out for you? Are you still in captivity? What? Yeah. How's it working out for you? Pause for just a second. Only because, I'll only remind you, we're not much different. This one's going to hurt. Ever bought a tool? Do you have a brand of tools that you're fond of, men? Or clothing, maybe? Do you realize why they don't let you into a factory? there's special value that we attach to certain things. Let me give you an example. Um, A DeWalt drill. A Ryobi drill. A Milwaukee drill. You ever trace the parts back? The odd thing is, when you start tracing parts and part numbers, well, they may be assembled by DeWalt. They may be assembled by Milwaukee. They may be assembled by Ryobi. But trace the parts back little Chinese factory over here. And then you start looking at the parts coming in and what factories they go to, and all of a sudden you find out, what? It's the same part that goes into the uh, Harbor Freight drill. Same way with clothes. In Indonesia, in Bangladesh, uh, India, they'll make a run of sweaters and jackets, and on one of the, the sweaters or jackets, they'll stitch in the North Face logo. And unfortunately, the next day, what's stitched in there is Columbia or Kirkland, (laughs) or Sam's Choice. I'm not sure Dollar General's gotten there yet, but you understand why they don't let you into the factory, right? You do know that Kirkland batteries are made by Duracell, right? I only use the argument of DeWalt and North Face and batteries Just so you understand that some of the special value that we attach to things fades when you get to see it manufactured. And that's exactly what Isaiah was doing here. We're no different when we put our uh, 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 credibility on the line that says, My DeWalt drill will outperform your Harbor Freight drill. Or my North Face jacket will last a whole lot longer than your Sam's Club jacket my Duracell battery, that's the only thing I put in my uh, fire alarms because they'll last. I don't put Kirkland in there. You see, the special value is stripped when we see how it's manufactured. And that's what Isaiah was doing. Your idols will always put you to shame because they cannot deliver you. Isaiah is saying, shame on you. How stupid can you be? The act makes you look like a fool. Not only does Isaiah jam the stupidity of a block of wood that some guy just carved, he not only jams that down their throat, but he lands on the stupidity of a block of wood that's going to deliver you. Really? The block of wood sitting right there is going to deliver you? It's just sitting there somewhere. I know, I know, I know. That somebody's going to wander into one of the caves where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, and they're going to find a commentary on Isaiah, and there'll be a little asterisk right there by those verses. And you look down at the bottom, and it says, "This is where Isaiah said and whispered to himself in Hebrew." Listen closely. You've got to be kidding me, seriously? In English. It comes across like this. You've got to be kidding me. Seriously? Your idols will always put you to shame because they cannot deliver you. Do you see it? Do you see it? Okay. I see it. What's that have to do with me? Can I tell you that we pretend that we do not have Idols. If I walked into your home today, I assume that I would not see a little Buddha. Or a um, golden cow. Melt that thing down, it's worth a lot of money. Or a totem pole. In my notes right here, it says, this is when the crowd crowd groans and says, no, no. Thought I had a bigger class for your essentials thing this afternoon there for a second. (laughs) Oh, it starts at 3, people. Can I remind you that we identify with some things, or actually they identify us in life, and I want you to be careful because blocks of wood can identify you in different ways. We're looking for things to deliver us. Our work, our politics, our financial provision becomes our security. Let me ask you something. What if it fails? What if it fails? You lose your job. And someone asks you, what do you do for a living? And your answer is, I'm in between jobs. Why do you say that? Why do you use that politically correct phrase? I'm in between jobs. I'm trained as a whatever, I'm in between jobs. Why do you say that? What are you feeling? How about your financial investments? For whatever reason they go away and you've become accustomed to living at a certain level because you trusted your financial investments and all of a sudden they go away or you're demoted at work and you're not bringing home the same paycheck. You find yourself having to call a friend or a relative and say, I need some money badly because I made a bad investment. How do you feel? Maybe you're a political candidate of choice, doesn't deliver, it's found out to be some sort of a scoundrel and you've bragged about this person so much, and you walk into work, and they say, so how's it working out for you now with thus and so? How do you feel? Does shame come to mind? You see, so much of the time, our shame, whether it's inward or outward, whether it's hidden or not, it points directly to your idol. Do you understand that? When it fails... And that feeling of shame comes over you. You realize it's pointing directly at your idol because you trusted it for some sort of deliverance. And shame becomes real. And in the background, you hear Isaiah whispering, so how's it working out for you? Your idols will always put you to shame because they cannot deliver you. But there's more. Isaiah says, Your idols will always put you to shame because they cannot deliver you. Plus, your idols will always put you to shame because they can. Now, listen to me. Because they can. And he uses the word delude. I'm going to use the English word we use most deceive you. Your idols will always put you to shame because they can deceive you. Look at verse 18. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is their knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire, I also baked bread on its coals, I roasted meat and have eaten, and shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded, a deceived heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? Your idols will always put you to shame because they can deceive you. You say, well, Kim, but right there in verse 18 it says, For he has shut their eyes, therefore it's God's fault. Stop right there. I can only remind you that they had already made the decision to make an idol. They had already decided that they were going to worship an idol. They had already decided that they were not going to worship God All God said was, you want idols? Have them. It's Romans 1 all over again. You understand that, right? It happened then. It happened now. And it's still going to happen in the future. And here it is. Romans 1. Go home and read it. Start with verse 22. Run all the way to 32. You get to verse 28. It says, and since they did not see it fit to acknowledge God... God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. That's exactly what He did to these people. Here's the scary part. Here's the thing that will really get you in Psalms 115. Should be up here. Just watch it. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes. But do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. Do you see it? There's your original definition of a blockhead. Literally, they've become what they carved. They don't see, they don't hear, they don't talk, they don't walk, they don't think. They've become the block of wood. And the psalmist wrote it down. Idols. It's what they constantly talked about. It's what they thought about. It's what shaped their reaction. It's what captivated their time and their energy, and it failed. And Isaiah, you're fools. Shame on you. They're trusting in the wrong thing for the wrong deliverance. Verses 18 through 20, the descriptors speak for themselves. Their eyes were shut. They couldn't see. Their hearts were deceived. They couldn't even discern right from wrong. They couldn't even figure out that the same block of wood that they used to heat their food was what they had bowed down to worship and ask for deliverance. They couldn't even hold it in their hand and realize they had a lie. Isaiah says in verse 20, he can't even deliver himself. Why? Because his heart has been deceived. Your idols will always put you to shame because they can deceive you. It was rampant among these people. They had a, a, an idol for uh, rain. They had an idol for their crops. Now they've got an idol that wants them delivered. Okay? The reality is what they were so blind that they were dying of thirst. They were starving because their crops weren't growing, and they were certainly still in Babylon, so that block of wood is not doing its job. Do you see it? He's pointing it out. They've been deceived. But can I remind you, let's not stray too far from the passage and say, "Oh, I don't have one of those in my house. I'm not looking for anything to deliver me. Let me give you markers when we come dangerously close to being deceived about deliverance. When my education and/or position becomes who? I am, all of the time, I'm very close to being deceived by it because it won't deliver me in the end. When my financial provision or my boast of my security becomes what I talk about constantly and it vanishes and I can't pay the bills, can I I tell you, it did not deliver me. Can I remind you that when I get into my politics becomes my hope for the future and I depend on one person to change the moral compass of the United States, can I remind you it's not going to happen? It will fail. And I'm dangerously close to being deceived. We begin to trust in the wrong thing. And leaning on the wrong person to deliver us. You see, we become like our idol, don't we? We become like our idol. That's all we talk about. That's all we think about. It's where we put our time and our energy. Shame on me. I've become the fool. Your idols, Isaiah says, will always put you to shame, because they can deceive you. Delivery, or deliverance, in our language, comes with an expectation. You understand that, right? Because of the very word, delivery, or deliverance, we expect what? We expect a result, we expect it to be delivered. Let me give you an example. Uh, Several months ago, I had uh, ordered from a uh, local company called Amazon. And uh, free shipping, (laughs) free is my favorite word, (laughs) free or less is my motto. And um, the neat thing about Amazon is that you can go on their website, and you can see where your little package is. Dallas, San Francisco, Chicago, New York. It's somewhere in there. Uh, Albuquerque is not. But I went there, and it says, your package has been delivered. And I go to the mailbox, guess what? No package. So I thought, well, okay, maybe, you know, another day or so. So I gave it a day, and... I went to the website and it says, "Your package has been delivered." Uh, Okay, in English it comes across like this nicely. Oh, so I went to the post office, and I stood in line like everybody else, and uh, I got up to the counter, and I said, "You know, according to Amazon, um, my package has been delivered," and. I was wondering if you could check on that for me. I mean, I was on my best behaviors. trust me. And that's not saying much, but I was. And uh, the guy says, well, do you have the number? And I said, yes, it's about this long. It's a government operation. So I gave him the number, and he puts it in the computer. He looks at the screen, and he says, it's been delivered. I said, well, I was just wondering if you could track it for me, because I, I don't have it. <laughs> and I got literally now, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. The guy looks back at his screen. He says, no, it says right here, it's been delivered. I leaned across the counter, and I looked down over my glasses, and I said, um, and my package had been delivered, like your little screen says there. How come I'm standing here asking for my package? <laughs> I was on my best behavior, Bob. <laughs> I really was. I'll admit, it was maybe a little over the top to lean over the counter <laughs> and look down over my glasses. <laughs> but he was dumbfounded. He didn't know what to say. I said, oh, Can I give you an idea? <laughs> can you look in the back? He did. Guess what he found? My package. (laughs) Delivery is important to us. There is an expectation of what we say is going to be delivered happens. Isaiah was painfully clear. Your idols will put you to shame. They cannot deliver you, but they can deceive you. He'd already talked about it. If you read back in chapter 41, he talked about uh, who was going to deliver. He talked about what God thought of idols. In chapter 43 and on, he, he declares that God is going to deliver them. And he calls them out over it. Think about it. Their own history was replete with deliverance, was it not? Moses was delivered. And he took the people out of slavery in Egypt. Noah, for crying out loud, was delivered from the flood. David was delivered from the giant. There were no idols involved. It was God and God alone. And these were the foreshadows of the true deliverer. These are the foreshadows of the perfect one who would deliver us from our greatest need, our self, our sin, and our shame before God. And therein lies the gospel. Deliverance. Romans chapter 7. If you started in verse 7 down through verse 24, let me just summarize it for you and say that Paul was taking inventory of himself. He literally looked at his life, and he took inventory of himself, and he came to this conclusion, wretched man that I am. Paul speaks of himself and says, wretched man that I am. Who? Look at the word. Who? Not what? Who? Will do what? Deliver me. Who? Fortunately, he answered the question. Verse 25, first part. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then in chapter 8, verse 1, he says, There is therefore now what? no condemnation for those who is in Christ Jesus he bore our shame he bore our sins he bore the shame of my idols my sin your idols your sin peter put an exclamation point at the end of the entire thing when he said in 1 peter 2:6 for it stands in scripture behold i'm laying uh, in zion a stone a cornerstone Chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to what? Christ took our shame. Why? Christ, listen to this, it's just the opposite now. Christ will never put you to shame because he can deliver you and he cannot and will not deceive you. Do you see the difference? Now that is deliverance. So what do we take home? Like Paul in Romans 7, for me, It's time to take inventory. If the great apostle can sit there and take inventory of his life, should I not do the same? What does my life reflect? What do people expect to hear from me when I walk in the room? Is it going to be about my job? Is it going to be about my investments? Is it going to be about my education? Is it going to be uh, about my politics? What do they expect when I walk into the room? What do I spend the majority of my time thinking about, worrying about? What do I spend the majority of my energy on, my money on? Will I come to the same conclusion that Paul came to, wretched man am I? Who will deliver me? So when do we know that our idols are gone? When who I talk about is mostly God. When who I trust in is God's salvation that I cannot lose and will not fail me. And when people begin to identify me with my trust in Christ, not my trust in my work or my money or my politics, then my idols are no more because I'm depending on Christ to deliver me because he cannot deceive me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Jesus, you will never put me to shame. But yet you took it. I shamed you. And you willfully took it. You exchanged my shame for your glory. You took my shame. and you gave me your glory. Oh, wretched man am I. But thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, we can stand before you unashamed because the price is paid. And we thank you. In Jesus' name.